Amen. Well, we have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 73 tonight. Psalm 73. <clears throat> Psalm 73. And I'm going to read this psalm. It's 28 verses. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are our clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and water of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I cleanse my heart in vain, and wash my hands in innocency. For all day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought unto desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom I have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. The title of the message tonight is Trust in the Goodness of God. Trust in the Goodness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time we have to meet together tonight, to assemble in this place. I pray that we'd be encouraged and strengthened and challenged. And as we consider this psalm tonight, things here that are given to us that read like a daily in our day and time. So help us not to be discouraged. Help us not to be defeated. But help us just to rest in your promises and trust in your goodness the land of the living, and to declare thy name and thy wondrous works. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever feel like Asaph sometimes? Especially in the last couple of weeks. And you look out in the situation in the world and, you know, if you um, listen to the news too much, you get discouraged, or either get discouraged and defeated, or feel like fighting. Um, 
But you know, this isn't, this isn't a new situation. But I want to notice several things here about this psalm as we consider it tonight. And Asaph, consider Asaph, who's, who's believed wrote this song. Asaph was, was believed to be a leader, a minister of music under David and Solomon. So he had a position in the service of the Lord uh, in the temple. And uh, these, are, these are his reflections at some point in his life that he saw. Even in those times, of Israel was in prosperity. But you know, times of prosperity are sometimes most, some most dangerous. Uh, but I want you to notice, first of all, he declares the character of God and His people when he says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as of our unclean heart. That's how he prefaces a psalm, but that's kind of the conclusion he's going to come to at the end of really what he is going to say from here on out. But God is good. You know, and so the, the, the declaration here is for us that God is good, God is pure, God is holy. No matter what happens, no matter what anybody else is doing, no matter what's happening in the world, God doesn't change. God is good. And His people bear His resemblance said, and such to such as are of a clean heart. Because of course we know God is holy and just and right. And God's people do bear a resemblance to God. You know, in John 3, 8, when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus that night, that Nicodemus came to him, Jesus said this to him in verse 8 of John 3, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. Canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And you know, you don't, and what he's saying here is, look, you don't, you can't see with your eyes, you can't see, but just looking at a person that they're born of the Spirit, you see the fruits of it. Just like you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. So there's some resemblance there of eternal life in the life of a believer. It, it, it's, it's given evidence to by the things that are shown, is, is what he's saying here. Uh, Acts 4.13, you remember the, the Sanhedrin when they arrested Peter and John. It says, what did it say about them? It, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Why? There was some semblance here to the Lord Jesus Christ and His ministry and His teachings. Acts 11.26 says the disciples were called Christians first in here. Well, the word Christians means a follower or an imitator of Christ. So why did they call them Christians? Because they reminded them of Christ. There was a resemblance there. And so, and of course, one day we're going to be like him. First John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Of course, every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So he declares the character of God, that God is good. But he is distracted by the success of the wicked. Notice verse 2. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. So here he, he gets distracted. He gets his eyes off the Lord and he's looking at the things that are going on around him and the things that he sees and, and he, he gets distracted from the goodness of God. You know, it's easy for us when we, we look at the things in the world and we live in the world day after day and, and, and it's easy for us to get distracted that, and forget. We look at the world full of sin and wickedness. 
and, and it's easy to forget. Or we can we still like we can begin to wander. Where is God? Where is He? And He gives several things, and I'm not going to cover all of them tonight because we'd be here a long time, and I don't think you want to stay that long. But He, he, he He's distracted by several things. First of all, by their prosperity. Verse three, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The prosperity of the wicked. Psalm 37, Psalm 37 and verse 7, there also the Bible says, Rest in the Lord, wait patiently him for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. So, so again, the psalmist is here saying, look, you know, the wicked, wicked prosper. Even Job said in uh, Job 27, and you know the Job's three friends, so-called, came to to uh, visit him, and 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 they began to point out the sin that was in Joseph's life, that or Job's life, and 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 their reasoning was, this is why you're suffering because there's sin that isn't isn't hasn't been revealed to the eye, but it's there. And this is what Job says to them, twenty-one seven, Job twenty-one seven. Wherefore do the wicked live, become old? Yea, are they mighty in power? Their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Bull gendereth and faileth not. Their cow calveth and casteth not her calf. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth. And in a moment go down to the grave. Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us. We desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto Him? So it's a known fact and obvious that the wicked do prosper in this world. You know, what was the most prosperous city in the days of Abraham? It was Sodom and Gomorrah. And you read Ezekiel 16, I think it's 1649. It doesn't say anything about Sodom there, but it says that it was full of fullness of bread, idleness, and abundance. Pride, fullness of bread, and idleness. You know, sodomy is the height of pride and arrogance against God. That's the fruit of it. See, see the wicked prosper in this world, and, and Ace is looking around, and he said, look at all these wicked prosper, and he's like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You ever feel that way? Join the company here. Sometimes I feel that way. You know, maybe I could be like Joel Osteen. He makes $40 million a year. And we just found out that, his, according to the Houston Chronicle, that his Lakewood church received $4.4 million dollars in PPP loans from the federal government. That was nice of you taxpayers to help him keep his salaries so his staff, you know, paid. But he makes $40 million a year. Of course, they say none of that went to him, but, you know, why does the church need bailed out from the government? Prosperity of the wicked. Secondly, he says, he was distracted by their presumption in death. Notice verse 4. 
for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. The word bands here means no pangs, no grief, no emotional stress or pain. You know, I've, I've been to funerals of people that I were certain were unsaved, and there's grief and emotional stress of those that are left behind. But I've also known of those who've died, and they seem to die without suffering. Matthew Henry said this, quote, Men may die like lambs, and yet have their place forever with the goats, unquote. In other words, they're going to hell, but they may die like lambs. They end up in hell. Spurgeon said, quote, He fell asleep like a child, unquote. Say his friends and others exclaim, He was so happy that he must be a saint. Ah, this but their apparent end. God knoweth that the dying repose of sinners is but the awful calm which heralds the eternal hurricane. So these are these are presumptuous in their death. They don't they, they don't seem to have any fear. They go on just arrogantly. It seems. He was thirdly he was distracted by their lack of problems. <laughs> Notice verse 5. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. The word trouble here means wearisome of mind or labor. has to do with the mind. The word plague means stricken by God. Stricken by God. In other words, it didn't appear that they they were stricken by God. You know, it appears that they can go on and do their wickedness and there are no consequences. Do we see that anywhere in the world today? Now, if you just read all this and you forgot about the end of this chapter, you'd begin to wonder about God. But, you know, Spurgeon said again about verse 5, quote, While many saints are poor and afflicted, the prosperous sinner is neither... He is worse than other men, yet he is better off. He plows least, yet has the most fodder. He deserves the hottest hell, and yet has the warmest nest. Of course, not all the glitters is gold. Not everything is as it seems either. But there's another thing, a fourth thing here that distracts, that he was distracted by, and we can easily get distracted by it. They are proud against the righteous and against God. And and notice verses 6 through 12, and I'll just make a few comments about some of these things. Their pride compasseth them about as a chain. The idea there is a necklace. So they wear their, you know, people wear necklaces for what purpose? Why do ladies wear necklaces? Do they put them under their garments and nobody sees them? No, they wear them to be seen. It's like a it's like a decoration that you want to be seen, and and so that's the idea here. They wear their pride out to be seen, their pride. I mean, it's just out there. It's in your face. And he also says, "They violence covereth them as a garment." So it's like they're covered with you know a, a, a garment. What a garment does is cover you. 
cover your nakedness. Well, they're, they're covered with iniquity. I mean, it's all over them. They're immersed in it, you might say. They're wrapped in a darkness of sin. You know, their eyes stand out with fatness. This speaks of, of affluence and, and wealth and gluttony and all those things that uh, they have more, and more, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. So they, 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 they brag about their wickedness. And it's in your face. It's like, you can't do anything about it. Because I'm whoever. Spurgeon said, quote, They rot above the ground. Their heart and life are depraved. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They seek, they reek of the sepulcher rises through their mouths. The nature of the soul, soul is relieved in the speech. They choose oppression as their subject and they not only defend it, but advocate it. Glory in it. Make feign would fain make it the general rule among the nations. Who are the poor? What are they made for? What indeed, but to toil and slave that men of education and good family may enjoy themselves? Out of the knaves, that is the slaves or the low class, out of the knaves for prating about their rights, a set of wily demagogues stirring them up because they get a living by agitation. You know, it's talking about the elites of the world, how communism stirs up the low class and agitates them. This is what he's referring to here. To cause uprisings. To cause agitations. They work them like horses. That is, they work the lower class like horses, feed them like dogs, and if they dare complain, send them to prison or let them die in the workhouse. He says there's too much, still too much of this wicked talk abroad, and though the working classes have their faults, many of them uh, of this brave and serious ones too, yet there is a race of men who habitually speak of them as if they were inferior order of animals. That's how the elite of the world look at the rest of us. We're an inferior order of animals. They speak loftily. Their high heads like tall chimneys vomit black smoke. Big talk streams from them. Their language is colossal. Their magniloquence ridiculous. They are soroical in every case. They speak as from judges' benches and expect all the world to stand in all of them. See, these want the world to bow down to them. They think they're better than the rest of us. Of course, the Bible tells us we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. To think soberly and righteous. You know, this sounds like the Antichrist in Revelation 3, verse 6 says, He opened his mouth and blasphemed against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them, and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. So he not only blasphemed God, he went to war against the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindred, tongues, and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jude, verse 16, says, These are murmurers, complainers, 
walking after their own lusts, and their mouths speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. So they set their mouth, you know, they are corrupt, they speak wickedly, they speak of oppression, they speak lawfully, they set their mouth against the heavens, they, they, they try to usurp the throne of God by by uh, enacting laws that go against the nature of God and God's law. The Antichrist in Daniel 9 or 7.25 tells us, He shall speak great words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. Now, it's not... You know, there's a question about what the think to change times and laws, what exactly does that mean? Some think it means he's going to try and change the seasons. You know, there is a bunch of people that are trying to manipulate the weather. We call it climate change. Of course, we, this, is, this is spoken of the children of Israel, too. In Psalm 78, verse 17, they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. Psalm 107, verse 11, because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. And so, you know, these, these speak loftily against God. They blaspheme his name. You know, it's sort of like, you know, they might say, like they do in China, if God was real, he'd help you. See, the government can help you. But it's obvious God isn't helping you. So if God was real, He would help you. He would prosper you. He would protect you. So your God must not be real. He must be weak. And after all, you are hindering progress. You know, these people speak like they're talking about progress. That's why they call them progressives. We're going to be all one big happy family, all making equal wage, right? Wouldn't that be wonderful? We'd all have the same things. And you wouldn't have to worry about anybody stealing what's yours because we'd all have equal. But does that ever work? It's never worked in 6,000 years. But see, you're hindering progress. And you're hindering us from taking care of all the problems of the world. You know, the problem is they just don't understand the source of the problems. The source of the problems is sin. And man is prone to sin. One commentator said this, this whole passage, quote, this whole, quote, this whole passage is a masterly picture of those darlings of fortune, overblown, overconfident, laughable if they were not so ruthless, their vanity egging them on to Hector the very universe, unquote. And they say, verse 11, how doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? You know, I remember reading, um, trying to remember his first name, Madeline Mary O'Hare's son wrote a book, My Life Without God. He actually got saved, became an evangelist. 
He wrote this book, My Life Without God. We have it. And I remember him writing in the book how his mother would go outside in thunderstorms, lightning flashing, and shake her fist toward the heavens and say, and dare God to strike her dead. See, these people are like the rich man in hell who wanted the Lord to send Lazarus. You know what that shows? He still wants Lazarus to be subservient to him. He hasn't changed his attitude one bit, even though he's in hell. But he wanted, he wanted the Lord to send Lazarus from the grave to prove that God was real. Because if they saw some miracle, then they would believe. You know, that's what she was doing. She's trying to prove God was real by striking her dead. And a lot of these people think, you know, if God was real, He would demonstrate it some way that we could see with our eyes. And so they are arrogant. They speak loftily. But I want you to notice a third thing here. The painful discrepancy. Verses 12 through 16. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I shall offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Kind of reminds me of what Job said in Job 21, about how the wicked prosper. Their cattle calveth, you know, their children dance. You know, and Ace was saying, look, these are not, these, these rich and these wicked are not plagued like other men. But I have plagues. I have troubles every day. Infirmities of the flesh and mind. You know, he says, I, I'm chasing them. The idea is I'm correcting myself all the time. And if I disobey God, I can get chasing the God. And if I spoke like them, I'd be an offender against them. Against my fellow man. I'd be considered an offender. You know what's hilarious? I don't know if you saw this. Louis Gomer. The impeachment. I think it was at the impeachment. Made a statement that the Democrats were saying is inspiring riots. But he quoted somebody. You know who he quoted? Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. He quoted her word for word. And now they're saying he's causing insurrections. That's what Ace is saying here. If I would say, if I would speak thus, who do I should offend? You see, if you have a conscience, you know, the wicked can get to the place where their conscience doesn't work. But if you have a conscience, you know what guilt is. And even your conscience 
if it's not seared, tells you certain things are right and certain things are wrong. That's why no man steals his neighbor's cow and ties it in the front yard. Because conscience said, that is wrong. He may not know ever heard of God, but he knows by his conscience, he was created with a conscience, that that taking some, what belongs to someone else is wrong. But you can, you can defile your conscience. The Bible talks about having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And of course, as a Christian, the other thing is, we have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God convicts us of truth. We know what the truth is. The Spirit of God reveals it to us, and He convicts us of the truth. So if, if, if we say something or do something that's wrong, the Spirit of God convicts us of it. We're bothered by it. And we know it's wrong to offend our fellow man, to wrong our fellow man. How do we know? By the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So, you know, Asa says, look, if I spoke like them, I know I would be an offender. I'd be the cause of offense. How is it that these people don't know that they're a cause of offense? I really think Romans 1 explains it. Pressing themselves wise became fools, fools, and then God gives them over to a reprobate monk. But this is a discrepancy that the Asaph was seeing in the world, and it bothered him. It bothered him. And if, if, you, if you get your eyes off the Lord and you look on the world too much, it's going to bother you. And you're going to begin to wonder like Asaph did, where's God? Where is He? Why is it like this? Look at Jeremiah 5. Jeremiah 5 and verses 20 to 31. Jeremiah 5 and verse 20 says, yeah, Declare this in the house of Jacob, publish it in Judah, say, Hear now this, O foolish people, without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. So it's, they, don't, they don't listen. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that cannot pass it. In other words, they've rejected the... And what you're seeing here is they have rejected the witness of creation. He's telling about the bands, the bounds of the sea by a perpetual decree that cannot pass it. Though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. So that's, that's something that has to do with nature. And so they rejected that God created and is the God of, that rules nature and rules the world. So they rejected that. Therefore, they don't fear Him. That's what Romans 1 tells us as well. Verse 23, But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Gone. Neither say they in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God, and that giveth rain, both the former and the latter. So here they still prosper in the world. 
They get the rain on, you know, God says rain on the just and the unjust alike. Matthew 5 tells us that. So they, they're going to get the, the, the former and latter rains. Those are the early rains for the growth. The latter rain is for the re, preparation of the harvest. He reserves unto us the appointed weeks of harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things. Your sins have withholden good things from you. For among my people are found wicked men. They lie wait as he that set a snares. They set a trap. They catch men. So they're enslaving men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore they become great. And uh, become great. They judge not the fatherless. Uh, uh, wax and rich. They are wax and fat. They shine. Yea, they pass over the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause. They cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper in the right of the need. Needy do they not judge. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? A wonderful and horrible thing has come into the land. Don't be deceived by that one word wonderful there, because that word wonderful means an appalling. It's appalling. It's, it's something you would be astonished at. In other words, you can't believe it's really happening. And it's not a good thing. It's appalling. That's the idea. They prophesy, prophets prophesy falsely, and priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? Well, you're the people of Israel. Both religious and political were living in prosperity with no regard for the law of God that was to govern their lives. Okay. They seem to be getting away with it. But you know what God said through Jeremiah? It, there will be death and destruction and it will be 70 years in captivity. And I don't care if Daniel, Job, and Samuel prayed before me, my mind cannot be changed. See, the wicked doesn't, don't get away with it forever. There is no counting. And that's what we see here, fourthly, the powerful directive of God. And I don't have time to go through all this in Psalm 73. But notice what he says. You know, he was, he was, he was grieved when he looked at this. You know, he was, it was pain for him, but, but until, verse 17, that word until changes the whole thing. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Any way saying, I feel sorry for the wicked. Not that they aren't going to get what they deserve. But it wouldn't have to be that way. It wouldn't have to be that way. You know, I know a man who's worked hard all his life. He's accumulated wealth, land. And now he don't know what to do with it. But that's all he has. He has no hope. He doesn't even know if there is a God. And I feel sorry for him. 
All he knows is just sorrow and regret. What a sad way to end life. To live life all your life, you know, working hard, trying to earn, you know, to make make it comfortable when you grow old. But he never really enjoyed it. He never enjoyed what God had made available to him. Because he didn't realize it came from God. And he didn't use it for God. That changes the picture entirely. The man without hope. And that's what he's talking about here. There, you know, Verse 18, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou cast them down in destruction. I mean, their life could be cut off like that. And they're in hell. And everything they've worked deceitfully and oppressingly to get, guess what? They're leaving it all behind. And they're going to reap the consequences of their sin. Verse 19, how are they brought unto desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Psalm 2 says, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. You've despised me that giveth thee power to get wealth. Now you will be the one that's despised or lightly esteemed. You lightly esteemed or made mockery of my law, my holiness, and worse yet, my love demonstrated in sending my son to die for your sin. I mean, some people say, well, that God would never do that. That's called justice. It's called justice. It's equal justice. Equal justice. And Asa said, I was foolish to even think like I was. You know, it is foolish, but sometimes we think that way, don't we? Come on, you can admit it. You know, I, I agree, I do it too. But we do. But we just need to remind ourselves, get back to the Word of God, get back to the house of God, be encouraged in the things of God and the promises of God, and realize that God is our strength. That life is more than what we see here. Life is more than what we can accumulate. So much more. You are only going to spend 70 years here average. We're going to spend eternity somewhere. So this is this part of life is just a tidbit, like a grain of sand compared to what life really is. So we need to trust Him. God is good. Draw near to God. Put your trust in the Lord God. Declare all His works, He says. He, he closes the psalm with, See, God is good. We need to simply trust in Him. Declare Him to a world that has no security for the future. 
They only have the present. So we need to continue to declare them, declare him. Psalm 37, 7 again, Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the wicked man that bringeth devices to pass, and they will pass. They may be here for a time, but they are going to pass. You know, I often say, when somebody gets cold or something, well, this too shall pass. Meaning, it's going to be temporary. You know, what happens in life is temporary. It's going to pass. What we do for the Lord shall endure forever. And so, we just need to trust in Him and rest upon His promises.